Tonight we're going to go ahead and look at the Word of God then, and we're going to look at a very familiar passage, I think, for we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talks, it's, they call it the love chapter, and we're going to look at uh, all 13 verses, and we're going to look at this title tonight, the greatest of these is love. Love is so important, isn't it? Amen. And there's nothing like God's love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Four or five of us, we believe that. There's nothing like God's love. Amen. We're going to look at these 13 verses, if you'll look at it with me. Starting with verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, every time I say charity, that's love, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity bondeth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that God, it's your love, that God is the centerpiece of our lives. God, there is nothing that we've ever encountered that comes close to your love for us, oh God. And God, I pray that that love be so important to us, God, that it be so overflowing in our life that, God, it changes us that we spill it out upon those around us. God, that you search our heart, that you do a work in our lives tonight, that, God, we see how important it is to express your love in our lives. You speak, Holy Spirit. You have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The greatest of these is love. Over and over tonight as we read that, that word there is charity is talking about love. It's talking about agape, God's love. Now, this, this love that it's talking about, in the English we know that there is, a, there is a big difference than in Scripture with love because Scripture has four words where we have one. And so it can be very confusing sometimes. It can be very confusing. And, and it can be very disheartening, especially you ladies, if your husband is telling you that he loves you. But sometimes we use that same word to say many things. You'll say, I love my wife. I love my kids. 
I love to fish. I love your shoes. I love Big Macs. We use that same word for all those different instances, but surely we're not meaning the same thing. Hopefully we're not. Hopefully we don't put Big Macs in the same sentence and the same feeling as we do our wives or our husbands. Surely not. But we know there's differences in love. But in Scripture, in fact, in the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, before the New Testament, this one word was not even there. There was three words before that that the Greek language used for love. And there was storge, which means affection. It's, it's like something you feel toward your dog or cat. It's, it's just an affection, something you... And people really love their dogs and cats. But that's storge love. And then there's eros. It's the word we get that uh, is talking about this physical, attractive love. Physical love. And there's phileo, which is this brotherly love that you feel for your friends. And we know that can be pretty strong because David said that his love for Jonathan was stronger than that and the love of a woman. That's pretty strong stuff. But they had not encountered this next word, agape. And in many scriptures, it's agapeo. That is talking about a love that gives simply for the sake of giving with no thought of return. It doesn't matter. If it returns, I mean, I know that there is, the, there's a desire for reciprocation back, but it is given regardless if it's going to be returned or not. That kind of love had never been experienced before. And so the Greeks, it only comes into being in the New Testament because God's love is a special love that's different than any other kind of love you and I have ever met before or encountered before. We know that. It is such a change. People that don't know God can know the first three. But they can only know agape when they know God. They can only understand that when they know God or God's able to pour that kind of love through you and me for others. It's a special kind of love. It's so important. In fact, that's the, the love that it's talking about in this verse 1 when Paul is talking to the church and he sees that they have gotten some things out of bounds. He's talking to this Corinthian church and they have got a lot of things happening. They've got a lot of move of the Spirit and, and a lot of works of the Spirit's going on. But he sees something they lack more than anything else. And that's why he says it so many times in this book. He's saying, you lack something, and it's love. It's the love of God. So he's trying to encourage them to understand that it's got to be the underlying foundation of everything you do. You can do all kinds of things for God, but without God's love for people, it's just an act. We're going to see that in verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not, and let me replace it as we go through this, and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's talking about the uh, horn that blows and blares. And it's talking about, that's not taught when it says tinkling. It's not talking about the little triangle going ding, ding, ding. That's talking about the crash. Of a symbol. I was thinking as I was reading this, I was thinking about that person that's in the big, you know, you've, you've seen the orchestra and, and I've seen some pretty big ones before, some famous ones or even some of your Marine Corps band, the best they've got. And, and man, they're very talented. And that person, I was thinking growing up, I used to play trumpet in, in the band and I was thinking about the people that, that had the symbols. They were percussion and they, 
they had, their job was to clang the cymbals together. And I was thinking, how do you practice that? Can you imagine being at home and your, your son or daughter, they, they have the cymbals and they want to practice. And all of a sudden, crash. And it's like all of a sudden it makes your hair stand up. It scares you to death. I was thinking about those, it, by itself, that instrument is just, just, it just, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't work. It sounds very bold and, and, and it's, it's not appealing, is it? But you get it in the right place and that they're playing one of those national anthems and you get to the crescendo of the song and when it gets to the highest point, there's a crash. It fits. It's perfect. It blends in perfectly and it makes it even better because when it blends in at the right place, it brings a perfection to that song. It's It's perfect. And that's what it's talking about in our life. We can have everything together, but unless we have love at the right place, behind it all, we're wasting our time. It's saying that you can can know every language there is that man has, and you can have eloquent speech that even the tongues of the heavenlies, that you can speak them all. But if when you talk to people, you don't have love in your heart for those people, you're wasting your time. You have no effect. There's a lot of people who can speak big things and they have eloquent speech, but people know if you love them or not. People know. So it's so important that we let love be the background of everything we do. I was reading about this love, this, this intense love, this love that gives no matter what they're going to get back. And, and I've I seen that in the year 1647, it was during England's Civil War, that General Cromwell's, his army, there was a deserter that snuck out of camp and he got caught. They brought him back and they brought him to the general and the general said, your punishment for deserting is tonight when the curfew bell gongs, they had a big tower, when that bell gongs telling everybody they had to be back by that time, that very moment that it gongs and rings, you're dead. They're going to line up and they're going to take your life. So they waited for that bell to ring. And the time came for it to ring, and it didn't ring. And so they investigated what's going on. So they climbed the tower. They got inside the bell and got looking. Why is it not ringing? And they found the fiancé of this soldier that had deserted who had got the word that what was getting ready to happen to him and found out that when that bell was going to ring, he was going to die. She climbed up, climbed inside the bell, and when that large clapper would come down each time it hit her, I don't know what time of night it was, but it was multiple, it struck her body instead of the bell. She took the beat every time so that it wouldn't ring, so they wouldn't take his life. Well, they took her out of the bell, battered and bruised, and brought her to Cromwell and said, here's the problem, and he found out who she was, and she's standing there battered and bruised to save her fiancé, And when the general seen the love that she had for this man that was willing to take all that no matter what, he pardoned this man and salvaged his life because she took this beating so that he could live. Isn't that what God done with his son on a Calvary's cross that he loved us so much that he took the beating, he took the battering, he took the crucifixion and the death so that you and I could live. And that's the only way we can, the only way we can experience that is through 
the word sacrifice that he gave. That's we see agape love hanging on a picture of love hanging on a a cross that was the frame of that picture to show what true love is. We're going to go on in verse 2 and it says we're going to go on. So we see that what you say is not important unless you love. Number two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. You look, if you see what he's talking about here, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And we also know that the faith is something that even Christ himself said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, and it's important to have faith, you, anything can be accomplished. And Paul has spent a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts is those things that the Holy Spirit, and it's why it's so important that the church be filled with the Holy Spirit because God gives each and every one of us spiritual gifts that the key is it's not to edify you. We don't get filled with the Spirit to edify ourselves. We get filled with the Spirit so God can have His way. And when He gives us some of these spiritual gifts, healings, and prophecy, and some of these spiritual gifts, it's not to edify you, it's to edify the church. For when God's Spirit is moving and active in the church, then what happens is is that we together, the gifts that God gives you, works together with gifts that He gives me, so that the entire body is blessed, and the whole body is lifted up and exalted, and we hear the great things that God wants to do, and we see the great things God wants to do, and the things He wants to say. So we miss out when we're not experiencing those things. And so Paul has been telling them how important these are. In fact, Paul's been telling them, you need to desire the, the most uh, the best of these gifts and prophecy was one of them he's telling them he's been telling them you need a desire ask God give you these gifts so he's telling them that but in this chapter he's saying now wait a minute you've got the gifts now but you've got something out of bounds you're doing it for the wrong reason you're using what God's given you yes you are but you're using it to lift yourself up you're using it to make yourself look good and what God wants you to do is use it to edify the church And he's saying basically every one of these things in this verse, you can have all these wonderful things. You can have the Spirit of God moving in your life. But if you don't have the love of God in your heart and you're not doing things because you love people, then you might as well just forget it. You've profited yourself nothing. It's it's useless. And and so it's so important that what we do is based on love. This verse I've read, I love this word. there's, There's like three or four accounts of the Gospels of this young man that runs to Jesus And he's excited because he thinks he's tried to live his... He's done his best in his own flesh to live right. He's done a good job. He's done better than most of us ever did. And he comes to God and he's expecting that Jesus, this teacher, is going to say, wow, you're a head and shoulder above everybody else. You've already got eternal life. So he comes to Jesus. He asks him this question. What what do I lack to receive eternal life? What have I not done that I need to do? And and he's hungry. He, He wants it. But we see the response in Mark is a little different than the others because he adds one word that is so important that describes something that Mark sees that the others doesn't. It says in Mark 10, 21 that Jesus responds to him. It says, then Jesus beholding, he looking at him, loved him. Agape. He beheld this boy and before he answered, he looked at him with agape, God's love. And then he responded, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. He said this to him 
because he looked at him and he seen what he lacked. And he didn't look at him with sometimes, did you ever feel this way? You, your life wasn't exactly what it should be and you had things maybe out of bound in your life and you're doing things maybe you shouldn't and you maybe love things that you shouldn't or whatever and when you God, you think God looks at you and he's looking at you with hate or he's looking at you with, boy, you ain't doing good enough. You ain't doing as good as Bob over here or Sally or whoever else and you think God's looking at you. But when God looks at you, we get a picture of what he does. He looks at you not with anger. He looks at you with love. He looks at you with like, he's going to tell you the truth. He's going to deal with your heart. He's not going to let you stay where you are. But when he even tells us what we're doing wrong, he looks at us with a kapel, love, a godly love that gives with nothing expected in return. People don't return it most of the time. But we see that he told this young man. He's not saying here, don't misunderstand the scripture. He's not saying here that, no, let me tell you something. If you've got anything, you've got to give it away. No, that's not what he's saying. He looked at this young man's life and he seen that he had love for money greater than he had. He's saying with his mouth, I love God. I want God. I want eternal life. I want, what is it going to take? You've got to get rid of the thing you love the most. You love money more than you do God. So you've got to get it in control. And let me tell you something. I was thinking about this. If that young man would have done that, we would have seen his name in the New Testament. And in fact, he would have been probably one of the followers of Christ that would have ended up in some of the stories and said, said that uh, John, uh, you know, this guy here did this or did that. God opened a door for him and gave him an opportunity. But he walked away. And the last time we see him, he walks away sorrowfully. But God looked at him with love. So we see that, that he's given us an example. If you want to do something, it doesn't matter what talent you have. Do you love people? Do you love people? God has to sometimes convict us, and he has me many times. Verse 3, let's get going. And though I bestow, give, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What he's saying is, is it doesn't matter what you do for God. There's a lot of people doing things for God. But the question is, is why? What's on the motive inside our heart? Is, are we like that Pharisee that gets and stands in the corner and he, when he gives, he wants everybody to see. And when he prays, he wants everybody to hear. And we go through the motions. We want everybody to know we're at church. We want everybody to know that we're putting our time in. But in our heart, what does God see? Do we love God? And do we love people? That's the number one thing. If you can get those two things down, a lot of things fix themselves. If you love God and love people... Almost everything else works itself out. It'll work itself out. So you've got to say, God, give me your love and let me do things for the right reasons. God, help me to see people the way you do. And he goes on and tells in Matthew chapter 6 about the one that, uh, that's doing things for people to see them. He says in verse 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, when you give an offering... Do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but when thou doest alms, not thy left hand, or this is my left, my left hand, know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in, or seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. He's saying there, what is the intent of your heart? What is the rationale of your heart? I've had somebody I won't even mention that's that recently, two different times, they've, they have extended stuff and, and, and they don't want anybody to know what they're doing. But they're like, I want you to do this with this. 
and it's and it's and it's exciting when people are like they don't want any credit, they don't want anybody to know, they just want to do something for God, and that's exciting. And so I, I appreciate that. So we're going to go on after this, starting with verse four. We're going to see we've seen some some things that uh, love and, and some the 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 mentality of what our uh, uh, motives for love are. Now we're going to look at the attributes of love. We're going to look at some, really quickly, we're going to look at about 14 things that, and we can examine ourselves. Now, when you look at these 14 things, you can, if you look at Christ and you look at his life and you look at him, what he did on the cross, you're going to see him in every one of these. You're going to see pictures. This is a framed picture of the work of Christ and what he represented by being here. The question is, when we look at our life, do we examine ourselves and find ourselves with these same things in our life? If so, then you're, the fruit of love is being displayed. If not, we see that we are lacking and we need help and we need God to give us that kind of love. Number four goes on in the first three words. It says, charity suffereth long. What's it talking about? It's saying charity has patience. Love, true love, God's love has patience. Now, if you're like me, that's something you'd like to have a little more of. Sometimes we can be a little impatient because you don't, you've got things to do and, and people don't seem to get it. I had someone call me earlier this afternoon. It was something to do with work and something that I thought I'd clearly taken care of twice now evidently didn't get cleared up. And so we're gonna, I'm going to have to deal with it again. So it's easy not to have patience. We lack sometimes, but thank God he's patient with me. Thank God when he looks at me and says, buddy, I have warned you over and over. And he keeps on moving and working in our lives. It's talking about having patience. Can you imagine the Lord? You look at those guys that he picked to be his disciples. He couldn't have picked a rougher bunch of guys. I mean, they're rough around the edges. They got all kinds of flaws. They're wanting to call fire down and wipe out people instead of save them. They're, they're wanting to cut people's heads off and ears. I'm telling you, he had to have a lot of patience. Thank God we see that because he has that with us. And it goes on and says, and is kind. It's talking about doing something for people out of the goodness of your heart and showing compassion for people. We see that in this verse in Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. What do you put on? Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness. Long sufferings. What's he saying? Go the extra mile. Go out of your way so that people can see God's love through you because you reach out and do things for people just because you want to be kind to them. It's kind of like that good Samaritan, what he did. He comes down the road, and before him was two examples in this story that should have already taken care of that situation. I mean, my goodness, if someone's hurt laying in the middle of the road and the priest comes by, surely his the bowels of mercy from God's going to cause him to minister. But when, the, when we see this story, when he sees the man that's been robbed and beaten, he walks to the other side. See if anybody's looking. I guess nobody's seen me. I'm just going to leave him right there. And he goes on. Same thing happens. Here's a Levite. Here's another man of God coming. And he comes up on this guy. Oh, my goodness. Is he dead? No. Looks like he's still breathing. Wow. That's all. Somebody needs, somebody needs to do something. Here he goes. Right off the other side. Nobody's seen him. Somebody needs. Maybe I'll tell him when I get to the city. Somebody needs to come back and take care of this guy. But the good Samaritan comes and he sees him. He don't look for anybody else. He might look to make sure those robbers are gone, but he picks him up and he tends to his wounds. And he pours in the oil and the wine 
Puts him on his own. And if you read it, he puts him on his own beast. He walks while he leads and lets this guy ride on his horse or his camel or his donkey. And he leads him into the city. He doesn't just get him to the city and say, hey, somebody take care of this guy. He takes him to the inn, puts him in the inn. He gives the innkeeper the money to take care of this guy and says, I'll be coming back here in so many days. If it takes any more else, I'll pay for it. Now that is showing kindness and mercy to someone that you didn't have to. That's how people see agape. That's how they see that. And so it goes on and says, charity envieth not. It's saying here that you're glad that when other people prosper, you cannot, you, when someone else is, when, when we get the good news of somebody this Sunday had a good news that a blessing had happened for the rest of their life. And, and so the question is, is what did we think next? Did somebody say, well, I wish that was me. Or, or do you say, well, praise the Lord. That's awesome. I'm tickled to death for you. I am. I get tickled when somebody, I love, I love, I love when, when hometown businesses just flourish and they just blows off the chart and they just can't even hardly contain it. I love that. I love it when people can do hard work and they prosper because of it. I think it's a blessing from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you can't say, well, Lord, I would like to have, Lord, I want you to bless me. I want, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't look at someone else. It's saying if you love people, you're glad when they're blessed. You rejoice when they are blessed. And so God sees our hearts. And so that's what it says love does. And so our, how are we doing on our little checkup? We're doing a checkup here tonight. How are we doing? I got, got that one? Okay, let's go on. Let's keep going. It goes on. It says charity vaunteth. Well, that sounds, that's a word. What does that mean? Vaunteth not itself. Surely I don't do that, whatever that means. Vaunteth means don't praise yourself too much excessively. Don't, don't be bragging on yourself more than you should. In fact, it's saying that your love is focused more on the other person instead of yourself. Sometimes it's easy to do this. Man, I'm telling you, you got to watch. Somebody's had something happen to them, and you're been, and it's easy to do this if you don't watch. You'll, i, I got to watch myself here. Uh, yeah, let me tell you what happened to me here, you know, another time. Go back. And so if you don't watch out, you take the focus off somebody else and put it on you. That's a hard thing sometimes. But that's what it's saying. If you love somebody, you don't want to point at you. You want to point at them. And that's, that's sometimes hard. Don't, don't vaunt it. Don't vaunt it. It goes on and says, is not puffed up. That means arrogance. We think too much of ourselves. Our head gets too big. And the focus comes on us. And we think, I'm better than everybody else. Who cares what happens to them? No, it's, it keeps the focus on somebody else. You, sometimes you moms have that really good. You can keep the focus on the kids. You, don't, you kind of maybe bring yourself into the background, and it's, it's sometimes we get to see that in action through your life. So we don't need to be puffed up. We don't need to think of ourselves and make us the object. But when we really have agape love, they become the object. Number five, verse five says, does not behave itself unseemly. What this is talking about here, it does not let, you, it does not uh, lower moral standards. It does not act shamefully. It does not act disgraceful. It doesn't take advantage of someone else. If you have true love for someone, you don't look for ways to exploit them or to take advantage of them, but you look for ways to, to reach out and touch them and to bless them and to make them better than they were instead of taking advantage. And that's this culture that we live in. That's not the nature that comes naturally to us. We're looking for ways that we can 
find the people that helps us get things we want. And that's not what God says. What are you doing? You need to do things that lifts them up and not takes advantage of them. Seeketh not her own. It's not looking into itself. Not looking to benefit ourselves, but looking at the interest, the joy, the pleasure of the other. And so this is, this is totally, every one of these is just the opposite of what comes natural. It, we all want our joy to be increased. We want our self to be blessed. But let me give you a secret, and some of you found this. When you learn to let God flow through you with His love for someone else, you'll notice that when they have pleasure, when they have joy because of something you've said or did, all of a sudden you'll find your joy meter going right up, 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 up. Why? Because God was able to do something through you, through someone else. That makes a difference in our life. Hey, that's the best way for us to see how God can work through us. It says it's not easily provoked. Um, when our greatest desire is to get our way on every situation, then it's easy to be aggravated to be aggravated with someone else when they don't want to comply or do it your way. Sometimes we can have the my way or the highway attitude, and it's saying here, don't let things they do stir you up and anger you because it's not what you want. It's not what you desire. But we need to let the love that we have for someone else to be something that doesn't make us angry, but we want to please. We want. I'm not saying let someone take advantage of you. Sometimes they will. Sometimes people will. But we need to make sure that we don't get angry if it doesn't go the way we think it should go. I can tell you right now, the most of the time it won't go the way you think it will go. But when you let God lead you, God will bring it around to where you'll be blessed and they will be blessed. He goes on in that end of verse 5 and says, Thinketh no evil. Agape love never looks to get even or to pay someone back. It does not want there to be evil. Some people, you, you do somebody wrong. You may know people like this. I do. You do people wrong, and in their heart, they say somewhere and somehow, I am going to make sure I get them back. And they wait and save the opportunity until they can finally get you in a position to where they can finally return the favor they think you did to them. And then they get joy out of you suffering. That's a horrible thing. That's a horrible place. God help us never to be that way. That we could look at someone, even if they did us wrong, to say, God, I want to I get them back. That's not God. That's not agape. That's not agape. You don't want to hurt someone or bring pain to someone to make yourself feel better. We would want to have mercy on that person. It goes on in verse 6 and says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity or sin, but rejoiceth in the truth. True love doesn't want something unjust to happen in someone's life. We may even say, you know what, God, it's, you, you need to bring judgment on that person. You need, to, you need to do something because they're not living right and they're doing things that, that's hurting me. And, and we... We don't, we, we want there to be a payment for sin or we, 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 but this verse is talking about something that we don't want. We don't rejoice in sin. We don't rejoice in something that's going wrong, but we are rejo We want God's truth to happen. We want to see God move in their life. We want there to be 
the word of God pour out and God to change somebody without there being any uh, uh, repercussion. Verse 7 says, beareth all things. Yes. Which means to put up or endure annoyance. We, we, we love, true love can endure things. It, it, in fact, I was thinking as I was reading that, I was thinking about these mothers that have these boys that have gotten in so much trouble that they're in prisons. And they have went the wrong way so many times and they uh, have hurt them and they are, they're, they've gone through all these troubles and they've been in, and their heart's broken and they've cried tears. But we see that even though their life is shipwrecked, that mother's love is fragile and hurt she is, she still holds on and she still loves them. She can endure even the crazy things. I've seen people's lives like that. You look at them and you say, how in the world do you still love what they've done? And they still, their heart still beats for them. There's such a love. And other people, you know, uh, we see that Peter tried to get the Lord to tell him, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive him? Lord, how many times? Seven times, is that enough? You know, five, maybe six, seven times. Seven's out on the outer limit, Lord. Surely, that's, a, that's God's number. Surely it's seven. And then he'd give him a number that made him realize it's, you, there is no limit, 70 times seven. My goodness. And so that's showing how God looks at me and you. And so it's saying here that we need to endure some things when people aggravate us. And we need to pray for them. You know, pray for those who despitefully use you. We need to bear true love. This agape love beareth all things. There isn't the limit. of That's the end of it. And it says believeth all things. You ever believe in someone nobody else can? Do you ever see something in someone's life? And, and I know people that has got this gift, and they can, they can find something good to say about people when no one else can. You can see that person, and it's like that person is a shipwreck. That person has done everything wrong. And then you'll find this person and talk to them, and they'll say, oh, but, but they're so good at this or Boy, don't they have a good spirit when it comes to that. And you're like, how do, you, how do you do that? And that's what God's talking about here is that we have a, we have a confidence. We have a faith in someone. We're kind to someone. We believe that God can do something in them. We can see the goodness. I, I, was, I remember a story. Dad would probably remember the name of this person that, uh, that uh, they could find something good to say about anybody. And, and they struggled one day because there was somebody that had a baby and this baby was probably the ugliest baby that you have ever seen. And the good news is I can't think of who the baby is. And if you know who it is, please don't say. But, the, uh, but there was a baby that was so ugly. And so there was, this, there was this test to find out, okay, let's see what they do about this. And so they asked this person, this I think a, a preacher, well, what do you think about that baby? And, and there was a struggle there. And it was like, um, uh, Boy, that's a real baby, ain't it? That's a real baby. Well, that was the best he could do, but he still, he found something he could say that wasn't negative. He didn't say that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen or, or whatever. So we, it's talking about here, we need to believe in people and put confidence in people because if it hadn't been for what the Lord did, you wouldn't even let me inside the building, much less behind your pulpit many years ago. God can do things, and so there needs to be that belief that God can transform and change, and God can do some work in someone, and we can pray that God do it. Hopeth all things. Hope. You know, God can 
put a love in you that we can, uh, that he can, rough, he can fix those rough edges. We looked at those uh, problems that he worked in the disciples and in our lives. God keeps working. There's hope. Hope is, is when you hang on to something that you can't see. You hang on to something. We, we have hope in our Savior, and we have hope for eternal life. We know we hang on to Him, and it's hope until we actually see Him. And then it's not hope because then we realize it. You may hope to uh, pay your house off, but you don't experience it till you make that last payment. you got to get to the finish line. So there is a godly hope in people's lives that He wants us to have, and it says endureth all things. It's saying that love will last the test of time. See, this is, this is kind of an amazing thing. This agapeo is something that was before time, and it will be here when time is no more. Let me, let me explain this. It goes on in verse 8 and says, it says, charity never faileth. Love never fails. Never, ever. Love never fails. The godly love never fails. He goes on and says, but where there are prophecies, these prophecies that it's talking about that should be what we all desire to see that God gives abilities to people to be able to say what God wants to say about what. Thank God for Daniel, who God was able to speak prophecy through to let us know about the end times. Thank God that John on the Isle of Patmos, he gave us the book of Revelation that God was able to speak through him things that were to come. And so we, these are very powerful things, but it says they're going to pass away. What are you talking about? That's God's word. How's it going to pass away? It says, and then whether there be tongues, we don't understand tongues. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it says you speak with a tongue that you don't know, a, that a tongue that God gives you, and but we don't understand. And so it says, and they shall cease where there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, what is it talking about? You see, there's, there is these, these things that it's talking about. It's saying that there is prophecies. What is prophecy? Prophecy is talking about something that God gives, a word of knowledge, a prophecy of things that is going to be poured out in the future. So even in Revelation, things are being poured out, and they still haven't happened. We've seen a lot of things happen. But there's still some big things that's not happened, some things that are really bad that's happening in these last days and it, after the rapture takes place too. So we know those are prophecies, but there's going to come a day when we get to the end of time, there won't be any more prophecy because we will then be at our destination. Let me keep going. It says that, uh, uh, before. by the way, before the world, I said a minute ago, before the world began, before God spoke, let there be a heaven and an earth. Before he said, let there be light. Before he said, let me form man with my hands. He had love for you and me and knew you and me before he even created time. So love already was in existence before time began. Because it's, how do you know that? It says that at the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. What does that mean? It means God knew you and me and knew the need for sin payment before he even made us. Before he said, let there be light, he already had knew with his perfect knowledge 
every detail of everything, and his son was given as a sacrifice before it ever happened, and we already had the plan of what he was going to do before time began. So God's love was there before you were there. So it was already, we know God's love is in existence now. We experience it on that cross. We experience it in our own heart. But there is going to come a time that we're going to see him face to face. And all of a sudden, prophecy is not necessary anymore. Because where's prophecy? It's in the past now. It's behind us now. So prophecy ceases when you've experienced, when we're standing in the presence of God. Now prophecy is a thing of the past. We're now looking at it. We're now experiencing it. We've now obtained it. We're standing before God. And so it says knowledge, the knowledge of things to come, we now experience it. Tongues is talking in languages that you don't understand. Well, when we get in, in eternal glory, we will understand everything. It's, it's going to be a thing of the past. There's only going to be one thing that's still going to remain out of these things. And it's one word. It's agape. It's love. God's love was before time. It is now in existence through time. And when time ceases, we're standing in his presence. His love will be still paramount. In fact, we see that the fourth word, of the first verse you probably memorized, one of the favorite verses probably of all times, is John 3, 16. For God so agape loved the world. That's why he did it all. He loved you. He loved me. That's why he did it all. And now his number one goal is for that love to just permeate your life and to come through your pores and everything you do so that others can see not your love, but his love through you. We go on and it's talking about those things coming to an end. I'm quickly reading 9 through 12. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. All these things we, we don't see the final end yet. But when that which is perfect, what's perfect? The coming of the Lord. When we finally see at the completion of what he's doing in our life and we're standing before perfection himself, Jesus Christ, it says that uh, when the, that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now it's a thing in the past. When as a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And it goes on and says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. It's like to, in the morning when you get up and your windshield's kind of frozen over and you're needing to get to work and you're trying to get it thawed off and you think you've got it pretty good, but you're driving down the road and somebody's headlights hit you and you figure out pretty quickly, I should have thawed it off a little bit more because I can't see like I should. I see a bunch of light glaring through. I hope I can see where the side of that road is. You're looking through a glass, but it is covered with something and so you're limited on your view. It's like fogging over your mirror and you can barely make, yeah, can I see my hair? I need to get that, you know, bathroom mirror cleaned up. I can see a shape, but I can't tell. And you'll make mistakes. You, you don't see a clear picture. But it's saying that there's coming a day that we're not going to be looking through a cloudy glass. We're not going to be talking about something we've not experienced. But we're going to be looking him in the face and we're going to be in his presence forever and ever. In fact, we're going to see love face to face. Yeah. And it's going to say all these other things is unimportant at that. Everything will be fulfilled. Every prophecy will already be fulfilled. All knowledge, all wisdom, tongues, everything will be fulfilled. Now we're going to stand in the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of love himself. Love himself. How do, how, what do you mean love himself? One of the most amazing things that he did. One of the most amazing things he did that's such a conviction even to my heart is that he could be on that cross and you can, we can't even fathom the pain he was in. Can't even fathom it. 
There's no way. You couldn't have handled just the thorns in your head, these large thorns. If you get a little splinter in your finger, you're freaking out like me, and, and it hurts like crazy. And it, you just, and all of a sudden there's this, there is this uh, response, this inflammatory response that when you get something in your finger, it starts swelling, trying to push it out. And all of a sudden it gets tighter and tighter and tighter, and it hurts, and it gets sore. Can you imagine having a whole crown of thorns? We don't have a crown up there. might be good someday to get those up there. But to get a crown of thorns that are huge, maybe four inch, and they put it on his head and they take a scepter and they drive it into his head. They drive those thorns through his skin into his head and down and probably poke him back out again. Blood's running down his face. And they don't just hit him once. If you read the word, it says they crushed him over the head with that scepter over and over and over again. And he's in pain. And then they lash his back to where he just looks like a, his back is just shredded. And then they make him carry a cross to where he's so weak he can't, he's lost so much blood he can't even hardly do it. He, he's already been through a ridicule and beating and everything else all night and gone through all this stuff and he gets to the cross. And then they do the, they nail him to the cross. They lift him up, he's bleeding, he can't breathe. All these, he's going through all these things and then what do they do? They're spitting on him. They're, they're ridiculing him. They're laughing at him. They're mocking him. They've stripped him to where the women have to stay at a distance because they've, they've embarrassed him. They've stripped him naked in front of the world to see. And they're laughing at him. Come off that cross. And they're, they're doing all these things. They're spitting on him. And his response is this. His last move to show a capel to you and me is no doubt with tears mixed with blood running down his cheeks. He looks up to his father and he says these words. With what strength he has, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My goodness. My goodness. What a display. The perfect picture of what true love is hanging on a frame of a cross for you and I to see. And then we read these words and we ought to say, God, make this part of my life. God, if you can do that, Surely I can put up with him one more time. Surely I can forgive that person. Surely, God, you can let that love shine through. God, don't let me miss out on what you did for me. Because if we minimize that, we miss out on the greatest thing of all, the love of God. Because his love is so great that he said the greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do those two things, and you fulfill the word of God. And so today we see that the greatest, it goes on in this last verse as we close tonight. We're going to stand before him. How will you be known when you stand before that one that's perfected and is the completion of everything that is the epitome of love? Verse 13 says, And now abideth these three things, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these it's charity is love, the greatest of all. The yeah. greatest thing you could have in your life. The greatest thing you could pray every day. God, give me more love for people. These things will never fail. But the greatest of these, love, the love of God. We're going to stand in his presence and we're going to feel the love like we've never felt before. We're going to be in presence of God who loved you so much and paid such a price for you. He's worthy, isn't he? He's worthy. The greatest of these is love. Let's stand tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Tonight, as we pray tonight, would you, would you, uh, tonight, let me ask you this first. Let me ask you this before we pray. Tonight, 
with your head bowed for just a second, because I, I, Wednesday nights is usually a little different. But let me, let me ask this. Is, is anybody here, when you think about what he's done for you, anybody here like me willing to say, Lord, give me more of agape. Give me more of agape in my heart and life. Amen. Some of us wants that. I pray that all of us wants that tonight. And tonight, let's, let's tonight, as we dismiss this service tonight, we want to just thank him first for, for that love in our lives and then ask him to flow through us to others. Can you do that with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, because you love us so much. God, because your love is so powerful. If we just get a vision, if we just get a picture of how much you love us, God, that, Lord, it just amazes me. It doesn't make sense, God, that you could love me so much, God, that your mercy and your love could overflow upon me, someone so unworthy. And God, I thank you for that, Lord. God, for what you did, for all the suffering you did for me. God, that how you look with mercy upon me. And God, how you look at us. And God, you see great things. And you see us not as how we are. But God, you see us as how we can be and what you want to do in our life. God, I pray that God, that you would let that love, Lord, overflow our hearts. So that God, it spills out in everything we do and say and think and feel in everything we touch, God. That Lord... Others can see that love of God within us and they can know that God were your child and they can see a hope that they can be your child too because you love them just as much as you love us, God. We're not special. God, you just love us all that much. And God, we need others to see that because, Lord, they may not have any hope. They may think that it's hopeless where they're at. But God, your love wants to do works in their life. God, let our life impact others. And when they ask what the difference is that they would see or we could say, oh, it's what God has done for me and now I want to do it for you. Thank you, Lord, for that love. God, change us and use us. Let this be a church of love that cares, that reaches out and ministers. Almighty God, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that, Lord. And God, tonight as we are dismissed, I pray that you would continue working in these special needs that we've been praying for. God, for Paul, for Mom, for Angela. Lord, for these other needs that, God, we need a miracle right now. Lord, your love that God put you on that cross. Lord, when you shed your stripes and you bore those stripes, Lord, at that whipping post. God, it says, by your stripes we are healed. And God, I pray tonight that you would touch every single life. Oh, Lord, every one of them, Lord, that they would feel your healing power. That, God, there would be no need for more medical help in any way. But, God, that you would show your love through healing them and God you did it and you're still doing it today and we thank you for that God go with us and God be Lord just be overflowing us all night long with your glorious presence thank you for your love in Jesus name and everybody said